Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Well, uh, welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Pretty happy to have uh, one of uh, our local uh, Brisbane people, I'll call them a Brisbane person, uh, CJ Bruton, assistant coach of the Brisbane Bullets and also NBL veteran of over 500 games. So welcome, CJ. Great, great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries, big fella. Um, this, from my listeners' point of view, I've been trying to get CJ for about eight months now. <laughs> <laughs> we finally uh, worked out a time to get it done, so uh, really happy I could uh, get him on the podcast. And, and so much we can talk about today too. Like I, I'm just checking out your some stuff on on the internet about you, mate. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like, wow, where do I start? Uh, I'll probably just yeah you know, talk more about the coaching stuff than the playing stuff. But you know, we could do a whole another podcast on your playing career so uh and i suppose just starting there you know like you know you had a a long and and really successful playing career like what were some of the highlights for you uh clearly representing australia was that was my main goal so to be able to represent your country um uh, it was a pinnacle i watched my father do it being the first african-american player to, to be able to do that and then that was it like you know he uh sparked the interest my heart was racing you know, being a citizen of the country, it's like, this is it. This is my home. This is what I want to do. I've learned my basketball uh, all through Australia. The fundamentals was, were on point. And I also had the flair, which my dad had brought to Australia. So I had that in me. And I just knew <laughs> that this is going to be It's a great combination for myself. And if I can just be a little bit taller than my father, I've got a good shot at this, right? So uh, a little... Worked in my favor, so that was one. Uh, getting drafted in NBA was, again, it was something that I I knew I could compete at that level because playing against uh, the likes of Derek Rucker and the Ricky Graces, the Daryl McDonald's uh, and other imports and during that time and, you know, when you the point guards in Australia were mostly dominated by Americans and then the few Australians that had those were leading their teams was the Andrew Gaze and the Shane Hills of this world who were Australia's best and helping Australia compete at Olympic and World Cup. So yeah. um, I knew that I I can be along the same uh, playing field as them. And when I was unable to continue my college career and uh, was asked to, you know, you might as well put your name in the ring and go work out for a couple of these teams. And I only went worked out for one, which was Portland Trailblazers. And, you know, they said if I go into, if, if I go, if I continue this path and I, I go to the next camp, which means that I could probably go first round, uh, but if you don't go to that camp, we're definitely going to draft you, um, which I didn't get drafted by them. They drafted <laughs> Alvin Williams because I was trying to go back to school and they knew that. All right. Um, yeah. But then Vancouver Grizzlies drafted me and then traded me straight to Portland, which was a deal that was done because that's what they said. They they wanted me and they were going to do that. And in the end, I, I get my eyes set my site was still set on going back to school and then coming back to Australia and then solidifying a spot for that 2000 Olympics, which was the, the ultimate goal, which um, in basketball, you know, there's always the ups and downs and the highs and lows from the injury standpoint. And I was one of the last ones cut on that, that roster and that took a toll on me. And it's yeah. just about we being mentally tough and strong and knowing who you are as a person and how hard you work and continue to work hard and never give up and, I guess over the next, from 2000 to 2004, trying to solidify myself as the best point guard in Australia. And Australia was my home, so I wasn't really trying to travel overseas that much. And was able to do that. Got to win a title with Sydney Kings, my first championship yeah. in uh, 2004. And coming off an injury as well. So yeah. having a knee injury and uh, knee surgery and then being able to play that year, I played with a talented team. And this is where knowing that I could help a team and be a, I didn't want to be a guy like LeBron James that has to carry a team. And when you play like Steph Curry, I knew that if I have guys like Clay Thompson and and Green around me, I had Ebby O'Rourke and Matt Nielsen and you know Jason Smith to yep. Brett Wheeler to David Stiff. So I had talented bigs and guards, which means that my work was I just have to do my role. And there's a couple of times where you step up and it's jackpot. And yeah, other yeah. days it's to, you just play your role and. 
be happy with it and be happy in team success. And I guess over my career, I, I found the success of a team was what I really wanted and I was chasing that. I loved the fact that competing every day was um, – I just wish there was more games, you know, when you're playing in the NBL. <laughs> yeah. you know, when you play 28 games in a season and you go over the season, I'm playing, you know, I can play anywhere from 56 or more. I'm like, man, this is basketball. And I said, at that time, when you're 18 years old, I said, if you just gave me McDonald's every single day, I probably would have paid for, played for a Happy Meal every day. If that, <laughs> that's how much I love the game. It's, you know, it wasn't really about the money. It was about competing every day and yeah. having a chance to play. And I think today, Guys get caught up with um, where they want to go, the, the prestige places to the yep. prestige schools. Where I was looking for an opportunity of where my skill set could be used and valued, and I can make an impact on the court and off the court. Yeah, yeah. You talked about um, you know getting cut, you know, from that Boomers squad in two thousand, and I sort of think that um, uh, again, this is my observations and my experience myself too. Like, I think that's one of the things that really. Uh, is a defining point in someone's career. Like uh, if they've had the, you know, the expectation that they can get there and then and then they they, they get cut. Um, like it really makes you decide, am I going to do this or not? And, um, and, and, you know, like you really then work, you know, take your workload and everything to another level, you know, that, that wasn't there previously. Was that the case for you? No, no. Uh, no? My, my workload was there. Like I was yeah. – I was already drafted in the NBA and I knew I belonged and the NBA was telling me, don't go, come here and stay. Oh, okay. and I got told and I got told I was on the team. So oh. it made it a little more difficult. <laughs> of, I'm on the team and so I came back to Australia for that reason. Yeah. To really know that as the season started, in my head, I knew that Ricky Grace was, he wasn't, he wasn't part of that squad before then. Derek Rucker wasn't a part of that squad before then. But they were all... Uh, they were all coming in yeah. and I was like, um, and where the vet, where the team was as veterans and um, where we were, where, what they were trying to do as, um, oh, where I just saw the game was at. I just felt like there's something here that's missing and I'm going to be the one that's going to take the brunt of this. And I said, well, all I can do is showcase my talent and yeah. make it, make it as hard as possible. And you have to, Kick me out, basically. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to you, you to kick me out, but it's not because I didn't play well enough. Yeah, yeah. With the group that I play with and how I complement the group. Um, I, I remember going on tour with Australia the year beforehand and I pretty much chose I wasn't going to go because Andrew, uh, Andrew wasn't playing in it. Shane Hill had to pull out for, I think, maybe a surgery or an injury. And I was supposed to go back to Portland and they were calling me like, you need to get on the plane and be here. You know, they gave me like 10 days and I spoke to my agent at the time with Dave Atkins and he was like, look, what do you want to do? And so, well, the boomers are asking me to come in and I've told them and now they're thinking that I don't want to play for them. But that's been my goal along, Dave. I, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to have to go through all the drama stuff that everyone else has to when the NBA is asking me to go that way. And yeah, yeah. if I just go that way, I'm good. And so I got caught caught in a spiral and you know it ended up playing out the way it played out and overall for my basketball career I can't you know I wouldn't change anything because it's what makes you who you are and yeah yeah there's some tough times but overall I I felt like I competed well enough to earn a a spot and then as it unfolded it was about that drive afterwards and I met some good people along the way that really helped shape me helped prolong my career show me more about my body and I got more in tune yeah, so that, those opportunities would have never came if I had taken a, a turn left or right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about your college career. Um, and again, I've got some, uh, I've got some info from your dad that uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about. So, uh, how, you know, how did that? It, it sounds like a pretty interesting story, like how you came to play in college and and also the second part of this question is wasn't all smooth sailing I, I heard from your dad and uh <laughs> and you know like um how did you deal with that uh personally and you know like um what were some of the challenges you had early on yeah, a lot of challenges <laughs> just a young kid uh, I think to get over there first was um you know I was, I was playing for the Wildcats so I was in the league at as an 18 year old running around and living the, the dream of being a professional athlete and everyday training, um, showing up and 
trying to fight for a roster spot. Uh, the team was talented, had the likes of Aaron Jahir, who was the best player, best junior in Australia, mm. uh, was coming out west. He's living with the owner, Kerry Stokes, who owns Channel <laughs> 7. You know, he, he, uh, Adrian Hurley, the doctor, who just left the national team to now become Perth Wildcats uh, head coach. Um, you Scott Fisher and Andrew Vlahoff, along with James Crawford and Ricky Grace. Yeah. And Martin Catalini was on the rise. So, you know, it's not like there wasn't talent there. And then the, the core group or the young kids, the rest of them were WA kids. Chris Carroll was the captain of the AIS or the Australian junior team. Yeah. So I competed every day. And the likes of a veteran named Eric Watterson, who was there when my dad was, was playing. And, yeah, you know, yeah, he, cool. he was a... He was the safe control, understanding the game, get the team organized. Where I'm just this young kid that's flair and outgoing and really, really <laughs> trying to spark the, spark the group. So, after a season of doing that and realizing that, you know, this is um, to study because I was studying at the time as well and yeah. playing. And, and when you were, I think I was away for one, one or two of my exams because we were playing away and they, I, I failed and because I wasn't able to take the test and I didn't get to take it when I got back and was like, you know what, this is not working out. I'm not playing that much yeah. and I don't get to stay and do my classes if I get called on to go on a road trip. And so I um, yeah, made a choice. We went on a tour to the States. We played UCLA uh, the year that um, Ed O'Bannon, uh, Tyre Sedney and that crew won the NCAA championship and they were the ranked number one team in the country. And I remember going over there eyes wide open and just saying, none, none of these kids know who I am. They're a few years older than I am. Ah, I'm going to let them see, let them know who CJ Bruton is. And so <laughs> basically had a great game and enjoyed my time on the tour. The tour was for the young kids to play and I played less and less in the tour went on and realized that if they do this here while we're in the United States and this is the off season, what yeah. is it going to be like for me when I get home? And just as a young kid, I just, I, we're at the airport and we're about to leave to go back to Perth. And I remember sitting there saying, I'm not getting on the plane. And I remember Fisher looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm not going. And like they're calling last boarding, you know, get on the plane. And I ripped my ticket up. All right. Like two of the players and everyone walked towards the plane. Like, you know, what are you doing? Are you sure? And like, see ya. And I said, I'm a U.S. citizen. You know, what am I going to do? And then, as soon as they got on the plane, that door closed. I started crying, bawling my eyes out, like, what did I just do? It's the end of the world. And I called my mom, as you do, called my mom straight away. And she's like, go see your grandma. And so I went I went to my mom's. I was born in Wichita. So I called my grandma, got on the plane, went there. My mom's sister picked me up. And it was that love that I missed, I guess, of yeah. not knowing your roots. And you, I come here for one or, you know, two months in a holiday and then after that I had to had to leave and go back to Perth and you know face up to my teammates and tell them what's really going on and and then Dave Atkins who reached out and got me out of my contract and said you know um, I'll find a school for you you know yeah. finding in they found Indian Hills after finding three or four schools I went I flew back over I went went and worked out for a few schools that I won't mention their names but some of their coaches thought that their team was really good. And some guy made a move on me and everyone was like, ooh, ah. And then I'll go ahead and I'll get angry and I'll start scoring every bucket and be like, no, I'm not coming to your school. Your school's rubbish. And then Dave's like, you can't say that. You don't do that. I'm like, I'm telling him. I said, that coach, he had no respect for me. And I don't respect his program. That kid was their best player. And that's what you were telling me. And that's what I saw in video. There's no way I'm coming to this school. I can't help them and they can't help me. And he's like, I went back home. And he said, I'll find a school for you. And eventually, uh, Indian Hills was where it was. And being naive and young and dumb, I just didn't look at the map. Coming from Perth, good beaches and sunshine every day. I was in uh, Tomwa, Iowa. So, as you know, it's not far from Wichita, Kansas. I'm in the Midwest thinking that they got to have a lake or something and it's going to be nice. And it was a small town. I, when I got off the plane and met my head coach and he was the nicest dude and jumped in the van and drove two and a half hours to Ottawa. Uh, they put me in that dormitory room and there was a, a kid from Chicago named Tadell Pratt. Um, and he was there all curled up in the corner like 
I thought we were in a prison cell. I just thought, this, what is this? Like, this ain't, this ain't, I'm going to be here for how long? Like, I woke up in the morning. I couldn't wait for the morning to come. I woke up, went to the gym, saw their rain. I thought, this is nice. But there's no one on campus. And, you know, for three months, I'm here early. They want to get you there early to get climatized. And, yeah. you know, if you want to start studying, cool. But I was like, no, I'm good. Uh, and realized that this is going to be, uh, it's going to be a hard slog. And <laughs> before school even started, I, you know, try to go home. Uh, when school started and we got the plan, I didn't give my passport to the staff and had a had a run in with the with the law and uh, <laughs> and and then my coach came to my aid and he um, he put my team on the baseline and made them run. He punished my team for what happened, uh, which was uh, it's funny now. At the time, it wasn't. <laughs> and then I just thought, and we ain't even started the season yet. And I was like, I'm out of here. And one night I asked some girl if I could borrow her car, drove up to, to the airport in Des Moines. And someone realized that I wasn't on campus. And they, someone said they saw me jump in the car. And so next minute I know I'm at the airport. And there's day rackers and people standing like, what are you doing? Like, I don't, you don't control me. Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I tried to go before we started. But um, long story short, Finished, played two seasons there, and each year we got better. We weren't ranked when I got there. Um, finished number one in the country, lost in, uh, to a very talented team, and then the following year beat Steve Francis and Sean Marion and Keon Clark, guys that went on to the NBA and played well. Mm. I, I had a player named Pete Michael who um, was really good. Like he was, I'm not sure if he was player of the year, I can't remember, but played at Cincinnati with uh, Keon. Uh, Kevin, um, with Martin and um, uh, ooh, Bobby Brandon, who played here for Brisbane Bullets. Yeah. So they were, they were teammates with um, with Pete, Pete Michaels. Pete went and played in Barcelona. He kept saying he'll never, never leave the United States. Got drafted by New York Knicks. Uh, but during that tournament, I got I was the MVP of the National Junior College Championship, and that's where everyone was looking like, how come we know nothing about this kid? He just popped up yeah. on our radar and. Yeah. And then I was, I tried to come back for the Australia vs USA uh, when playing in Melbourne. I tried to play for the Australia, but my college coach wouldn't let me leave. This is the part where it starts getting a little. <laughs> we couldn't come be a part of that during that time, and I was glad Australia won. And I uh, just just showed how much uh, Australia's junior basketball had improved at that point, mm. and where that senior team could go and take it, and where they're taking it now. But um, yeah, it's um that part of breaking that, that umbilical cord from my mother, uh, being away from home. Yeah. Uh, my dad called, I remember calling home and my dad picked up and telling me, you ain't got no home. What are you going to do? Come back here. And you ain't got no job. And you ain't got no bedroom. Your brother done took that. And, you know, and you can't go play with the Wildcats. You just left them. They've already moved on. And I said, I don't live with you either. So I had the, had the heart, heart to heart talks and a lot of teary moments. And then, my mom said, you're ringing up my phone bill, so stop calling me, you know, like, and so I was writing letters, and then I was, you know, this is before email, so this is just so the email starts coming in, so then I realized, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore either, that's, that's annoying, I don't know how long that takes, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was all life lessons, and I, yeah, I yeah. guess I got it in, in a couple of years, and it's the special part now when I, when I got out of, when I got out of school, and I came back to Brisbane, and became like, the most powerful part of my life and mm. you know that 18 to 23 type range of understanding you know what you want to do and you know don't don't lose sight just because people want to try and take you to different paths they don't want to see you succeed and what's your job and what are you trying to accomplish in life and what do you want your tombstone to read when you leave so yeah yeah started following that path yeah, nice. That's a great, great story. And also, yeah, just a bit about sticking at it and dealing with the ups and downs, like you said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, uh, I think, too, you know, one of the things that stands out for me is your um, the six NBL championships you're involved in. So one with Brisbane, two with Sydney, and three with New Zealand. But when you think about those teams you played with um, at that time, like like what, what are the things that stand out, you know, of, of those teams in terms of their ability to, to win a championship? Um, I think the focus, I think everyone, every team that I've played on, 
knowing that you have a chance to win or just the talent level that comes in that door, the focus that's on each individual and what they want to accomplish as yep. an individual and as a team. And it's the buying of the team which gets lost in translation through all sports because the individual, you recruit the individual and then you try to make it a team. And for myself, being on teams that weren't successful and was sick of trying to be that, I, I never wanted to be that guy that's, I guess, like an Andrew Gaze where you, you, you don't score 30 a night. Like, that's that's hard work. I mm. did that for just a period. If I did that for two weeks, I cramped up and was in an ice bath. And even though you don't see that part, it was like, wow, that was an unbelievable game. It was like, no, nah, that took a toll on my body. Like, I, I'm not that guy. Yeah. I would not have a career as long as I want if I have to go down that path. And the, the ability to learn how to win, I think that all those teams had, they gave effort every day at yeah. practice and it, and it showed. And yes, you're going to have some good days and bad days, but the competitiveness was always there. Mm. Um, and, and the focus was there, not just from the players, but from the coaches. And if you started slipping, we let you know about it. And it wasn't just myself that came from the senior group or even sometimes it was a younger kid who piped up and you're like, man, I'll put my fist through your face. But <laughs> in reality, it was, a, you know what? I needed to hear that. Yeah. And that means that tomorrow, you know that I'm bringing it for you as well. And it's like, well, if you bought it for me, we'll bring it for everybody else. It's not his fault. He just said something that the other person didn't want to say. <laughs> and so I'm not hearing it from the coach every day. And I felt on all those teams, we didn't need to hear that from the coach. And yeah. the players drive it. Like coaches coach and they try to manage you the best way they know how. Uh, from the organization, from top to bottom, there's a lot going on, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as a player, when you get more, I guess, a core group, as the Wildcats have for a long period of time, or a group that's played together and gone through that wars, like from Tom Abercrombie and Corey Webster to the Mick of the Conners of this world, they've, you know, they've all been in that space long enough and seen that group develop and what it takes to win every day. And you know there's certain times of the year that you have your lulls and you're down and the travel and it gets, this is tiring and you've all got families. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all those, all those challenges of how you manage that and how you help one another deal with all those those little obstacles along the way is, is important and to stay together as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about sort of leadership within the team and, you know, like how anyone can be a leader, like where they're like, any sort of uh, examples you can you can think of, you know, particularly with those championship teams that you played with, where you know that was really just uh, demonstrated, like uh, guys that were probably maybe not guys that you thought might have been uh, standing up talking to the team at certain times, but you know, like things that you thought, oh wow, that's great, you know, like um, that's really what we're about. Well, I mean, there, there is a few. I think uh, what <laughs> probably too many to count because of all all those teams that you named, uh, and there's a few more, two more teams I've played on. So yeah, uh, uh, I can say the the Sydney Kings team because well, we had guys that were coming out of college and as well, and that team had not only veterans that played for Australia or were were gonna play for Australia the young kids were aspiring to represent the country. Yeah. And they did it their own time. Um, not all during my my time with them, but um, they they got their shot and all by their their leadership and drive. And I remember a few times them challenging the veteran players. It wasn't just on the floor that, you know, it's your actions. It's, okay. It came about your actions of, yeah. you say this, but your actions say that. And when they... Those words are so powerful of, you know, you're saying it, but you're not doing it. Yeah. And, you know, you're saying that to him, but you're not leading and you're supposed to be our leader. And then that part will come back and like, mm, you know what? And I'll be quiet on this one. I don't need to get involved in this. And I'll just wipe my face and hear it out and try to, try to understand it. Where's he, where's he going with this? Yeah. Um, and the more likely than not, the group would come together for it. Um, I think my, my Sydney Kings team was a lot of fun. Brian Gorgens, is, he's got a lot of energy, um, as you know. And yeah. if you've seen him with the national team, to him being in charge, everywhere he goes, he brings that that fire. And uh, all, the, all the players that he recruits and that come and play for him, they, they come, they're excited to be there. They, you know, their eyes are wide open. The storytelling is unreal. Um, but the journey is something that, every player that's played for him will remember. And yeah. 
good or bad. There's a story in there for everyone that's, you have your moments, your highs and lows like with everyone. Mm. Um, that honest truth part, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's just what ha- has to happen through the course of the season of, you know what, you're, you're out, he's in, uh, I've gone this direction, which I didn't, some players don't see that coming. And when it comes that way, and, and sometimes I, I didn't agree when it happened when I was playing and watching it happen to some of my teammates. Yep. But it's what do you have inside you that's going to make a difference? You know, you can mm. either pout about it, you can move on and go to another club and try and punish them. But it's not you punishing us, it's you to have a better career and have that fire in your belly to understand what one person's uh, story to you isn't doesn't define your career or define who you are. And that's the mm. part where a lot of these guys can take it to heart, which we all, at some point, we all have. Um, yeah. I think uh, Brisbane was the, the team of fun. Like, I look at it like the Golden State Warriors. Like, we had so much fun together, laughing and being able to play the game. We were super talented. The the talent level that we had from Sam McKinnon to Eddie Arrah, Stephen Black, Dusty Riker, I go down the list, the Dylan Boucher, like they all defined how from all different countries, how a team can come together, no matter what background and yeah. what upbringing you have, how you can come together and have so much fun and understand that we are one and mm. the, the swag level, <laughs> you no matter how tall you are, you, like Melbourne, Melbourne Tigers were the biggest team in the competition by far. And we were, Sam McKinnon was our starting center. He was a four man or a three man and, in basketball when he first started. So yeah. to know that but we all had the ability to put the ball in the bucket, the hustle, the effort, the competitiveness, um, the ability to make sure that that team spent time together. Um, during an era where Eddie Groves was uh, ABC Learning Center and Eddie Groves was around and helping the league, yeah. uh, that group, you know, we did amazing things in basketball that still stand today. Mm. Um when that all fell over and gone to New Zealand, uh, Andre Lamanis was over there and put in a lot of time to try and get things right and had his ups and downs and, you know, people want you out. He's not the right coach. We need a new Kiwi coach and this is not working and you have to make the hard decisions. Perro Cameron, who was their captain, he was no longer, he had to, you know, make hard he, he had to go. He made Dylan Boucher leave. And Dylan had to go to Perth. And the only one he kept was Paul Lanaro. And I guess Mika Vakona even left. Like, mm. he didn't send Mika away. Mika left and went to the Gold Coast. So, yeah. well, everyone had to take their time to go up. Uh, the part for me was when I went there that I took Dylan Boucher because he was a winner. Yeah. He did stuff in Brisbane that people didn't know outside of Brisbane. And even his teammates didn't know what he did. You know, like, in the community, yeah. Um, we didn't like right now. They get you get. Um, I guess how many hours you put in for your your team in the community. And it's it's important. We yeah. all play that role, and this is yeah. where the game started. And it needs to continue that way. And Dylan was doing some of that stuff on his own, and as I was, and some of the kids that I knew in the neighborhood would let me know that you know when I drive around or I see him at the stadium or pull up on the side of the street, they're like ah, oh, you know, oh, he was around. Hey, see, Dylan was around, and so you know that that there probably gave me a a little, maybe feel more more for him. And his family wasn't here, so mm. he, he is working his job while his family's still in New Zealand, yeah, and playing the game out. And I just admire his passion and and his drive and his ability to impact the game the way he does, and who he was as a man. I thought as a family man, like I. I got to do this and mm-hmm. to go to New Zealand and be able to take him back. It was, that was like still to this day is the best move that I've made uh, yeah, yeah. in my basketball career. And then we were through that time. Yeah. It took a while to get there. Mick of had to come back. He had won a championship. It was the two, two guys that weren't known like Andrew Gabriel, Shane Hill had won a championship and they were both Kiwis, which was Mick and Mick and Dylan. Yeah. And now you add, said, add Kevin Braswell to the group. And we already had Kurt Penny and Tom Abercrombie was just, you know, he was just letting his wings out then. Mm. And, and we were able to start rolling. And, you know, Perth Wildcats was that, that team at that point. They, and we knew that we had a chance and being on the other side of the ditch, it was that, uh, that ability to, Dre had the, the, the group once he, he was able to know that this is his team. Yeah. And he's the leader and everyone understood that. 
uh, let everyone know that he is and this is why we're here and now we need to follow him but we drive this as players. Uh, that was um, the best part of working in working for a country. Uh, that yeah, I, yeah. You know, it was it wasn't working for a club. I yeah. was doing it for a country at that point. Um, I was helping the tall blacks get better, but I was also helping, you know, and having Oscar Foreman there before me mm. and with me, and then Tony Ronaldson the same way. There was other Australians there that helped and help and. Uh, ben Melbourne, there was a few other guys, and Ben Pepper. So they had helped drive this club in that direction that um, can get them up, get them running. And so yeah, yeah. it was it was a it was a great journey. Yeah, nice. I've got a question now. This is from you, like uh, something I picked up from your dad. So uh, giving you a little heads up there. If you were to, you know, if we're talking to a, a young player, and and you know, based on your experience playing too, what advice would you give a player who has to play a friend? you know, like at a very high competitive level, but their arrival on an opposing team. So, yeah, how, how would you approach that? Would you be going out just to, you know, get it done or would you respect the, the friendship? And the- No, this, this is a job. I think I, I learned at a young age from my father of, and him being my father that he loves me, but he would always, this is an ass whooping that you're going to have to take something. You're yeah. not going to beat me. And, and you know, until I'll, I'll be fifty, and you still won't beat me, and that hurt. And you know, when you're fourteen and you can't win, and you can't, I'm close to winning a game, and then he just starts fouling me, and then I feel like he's about to try and break my arm, and <laughs> I've got tears running down my face because I'm scared to shoot the ball, but he's talking <laughs> it up like he's he's got the he's got the runs on the board, and you know he's done this before, and mentally he beat me down. And where for my team it was all playing against my friends, it was more of, I love you. And when we step on that court, I'll, everything that takes to win this ball game and afterwards, I hug you and I'll probably come see you afterwards and I hope that you don't take offense. And if you're mad at me, you know, we don't have to talk to you. That's cool. And I'll still call you. In the, I'll call you next week. Hopefully you got over it. Or or, and, and if you haven't, I'll remind you how bad we kicked your butt and, and how, how many times I've put you in that different different maneuver that I said I was going to do. So, I mean, it's that part. Yeah, you don't, I guess you don't, um, don't hold a grudge on yeah. how you do it. Uh, you got to do whatever it takes for your team to win because that's what your job is. Uh, otherwise, you're like, you're cheating yourself, you're cheating your teammates mm. and what you, what you put into your craft. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's do a little scenario. Back in the day, your 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 dad, Cal Bruton in his prime, versus uh, <laughs> CJ Bruton in his prime, one on one. Who wins? Who, who wins? Uh, he's got more swag, and him and his his prime. I'd I'd probably say he would win. Like I like to think that um, my skill set and where I was at, I'd be quick enough to be able to to do some good stuff to him. But overall, from how he to watch him throughout his career. And how hard he worked, I can say that he's worked twice as hard. At 50 years old, he was still playing. You know, like yeah, I, I ain't at this point in time. <laughs> and he had, I got three kids. He had three kids. You know, he was still out running me. You know, at 40 years old, and that that hurt too. So he's he's left some scars on me that, you know, like I love him for. He keeps driving the family. Yeah, and he set the bar and. He's had to overcome a lot, and that's the part where, I guess, from for everyone that plays a game, it's you need to understand the game, but then understand why you're involved. And I'm involved because of my family. But mm. like, brought my family to Australia. I was able to play it, um, and I got to a high level. But the reason you keep going and the challenges that are, that are in front of you, like I, I stopped chasing the ghost when I was, I was probably. Maybe 2004. I guess once I got to Olympics, I stopped chasing my father. All right. you know, but yeah. up until then, my father had always given me the drive and the passion and to always want to talk the game and love the game. The, he would, when I thought I had a good game, he'd tell me, man, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And I'd, it hurt me. But <laughs> yeah. then that was his way of telling me, this is what I saw. Yeah. I didn't need to hear that. I just wanted you to be pretty. You came up to the game, enjoy the game, and take your butt home. You know, you want you want to bag me and go home. But I said, i got another game to worry about to be, you know, being negative. And so trying to be more positive in that space. But he was just doing what he thought was right. And his passion and his competitiveness, which is, like I said, to get out of his neighborhood 
to to get to university, to get overseas, you know, you gotta have a lot of things go your way and then to stay out here, you know, like as you know, like most players at that time you come out here for two years and they're gone. Yeah, and you yeah. never hear of them again. You're like, he was good. What what was his name again? <laughs> so <laughs> Um, like, and again, probably last, last, last sort of a playing question for you, but like you, you talked about a few of the coaches that you had over that time in the NBL and also playing with the Boomers and that sort of thing and at World Championships and, and whatever. Um, like who were some of the coaches that I guess uh, had that lasting impact on you? And I'm, I'm probably talking a little bit about with your coaching now and, you know, what you're doing, but um, just guys that I suppose ha- had a way of doing things or, you know, like some, some things that they did that sort of, you know, informed your coaching philosophy. Like um, what, what comes to mind there? Uh, I think there was a under-14s and under-16s coach that was a school teacher and uh, his words, I, I think I, I got hurt and I think I rolled my ankle and he he said, if you want to make this team, that you, you still got to be able to train. And I was, and I said, oh, I can't even move. Like, and so a week later, he said, well, like it was 10 days until they picked the team. But I had to train that following week yeah. to make that team. And I got on one foot and jumped up and down. And I started thinking of Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, you know, doing the finals yeah, yeah. and things like that and hopping around. And and I ended up crying. Like, I, I don't even think I finished the practice session. And I remember sitting down, put my hand, you know, with my hands on my face and crying away and he walked over to me, he sat next to me, he says, you've done enough. He says, everyone knows that you're the best player, but I need to know and they need to know that you have more in you than that. And now you're just driving them. Yeah. And so it wasn't to hurt you. It was just to show you that you have more in you than you think. Yeah. And for those other kids, they respect you. And now all you've done is give them more hope. So when we go away, that, you know, as you heal up now and get better, will be good. And mm. I guess there was many lessons that you you learn from different people and just the way he taught the game. Like I felt like that was the, the, the turning point for me of after those messages of really paying more attention to the detail type that he was giving me. And I, he was giving me insights of like, it was almost like a baseball. Like you're going to, you're going to see these three pitches come down the line. And I was <laughs> like, I'm like, what? He said, the first one, like if you see him, like, if his shoulder goes up high, then this is it's going to be a curveball. And I was like, you know, like he gave me all this detail, and I'll come down the floor, and I know that this guy's going to show an on ball. So I will yeah. go wider than the on ball, and I'll be able to find that other player. And guys will get wide open shots, and it became slow motion for me. And for someone that was quick, and and was like, wow, you, you you read the game so well. But I credit him for that. Um, and and then it was throughout my time at this many coaches. Like you, you always want to take the good parts, and <laughs> but I feel like um, it was for, for many of my coaches still being who you are, like mm. X's and O's. Uh, I don't know what more that you can keep adding to that book, yeah. You know, that without drawing it, that it's already been drawn before, yeah. Uh, but as for your talent and how you put them in the right space, I think I had um, a lot of the NBA coaches and um, and showing me uh, a lot of different ways to to read the game and how to put players in place. And I guess as my the back end of my career, that's, well, even from the middle of my career, that's where it came down to of mm. not create for yourself, how you create for others. Yeah. And then still be at a strike rate that you're still involved and you keep the attention on you, but the, you're focusing on getting everyone else involved. And, and that's the way you know, basketball became for me. And overall, I'd like to think that I got a good handle on that as my career went on and yeah, people yeah. would stay attached to me and I'd just set a double screen and Mick and the getting a layup and I'd be looking like, you're a dummy. Like, well, <laughs> why'd you do that? And then you, you screened your own man and I'd be telling the, the, the defender, you screened your own man. I didn't do that. I, you were denying me. So I used you as a double screen. So, yeah, just reading the game like that. And um, I think where uh, for Brendan Joyce was his work ethic, um, he understands the game. He was a Boomer's assistant coach. He coached the Australian women team. Um, just one of those guys. Like from his playing days, it's almost like you be you need as a coach for them to become 
you want your team to become who you are and yeah. or something of you. It doesn't have to be who you are. It's sprinkle a little bit of you <laughs> in that group to make it feel like, wow, you know, that's how when the sun is shining, that's how I want it to be seen. Nice. Good stuff. Well, mate, let's uh, talk about the bullets and what you're doing now and, and also, I guess, um, you know, what's coming up in the in the year ahead. First thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and again, just an observation I've made, but something your dad mentioned to me as well when we were talking is this that, you know, you've had that long association with um, Andre and uh, and also Sam and, and like, Sam McKinnon, like what, what sort of, what have those relationships meant to you like over that time and, and how does that help you guys work together, you know, like in coaching the bullets? It means a lot. I mean, I like to think I've helped Andre and Andre's helped me. Um, and it, I think uh, the ability to work with one one another and, and respect one another as well, I guess from, from my playing days, I used to go up in his office and tell him, ask him, why are you sitting up in here? Like, you need to take your... <laughs> Take your ass home, like you go, like go go see your wife and, and spend some time with her. Like practice is over with, and now that I'm a coach and I come home and got the laptop, I got the notepad open over here. I've got my phone. I'm putting notes in there. I'm cutting up tape. Yep. I mean, my wife looks at me like, "You are you married to your laptop? Like you, <laughs> you fall asleep with it on your lap?" So I mean, there's there's different parts of the game that you, I, I guess I didn't see, or but you want to keep growing. It's that part of studying and knowing but with Dre my relationship with him was was um from day one it was it's like meeting someone for the first time and yeah you know what I'm gonna be very quiet and at the start I was and he's like oh, this is not normal CJ you're right about that but I'm also <laughs> trying to find about my landscape uh where I'm at right now how this all comes together because I know how I fit in I yeah. just need to know how every other piece and going to New Zealand um Paul Blackwell and his wife Liz um uh, made my wife princess feel super special which um made our team come together where andre and i were able to speak on many occasions about you know different things that are going on in the game and, and, and his journey in, in life and basketball which made it even made us even more closer to to the part where um yeah when he left and and when i left new zealand i reached out to him just to let him know that I, oh my when, when he left to go to the boomers and I was still in New Zealand. I was sending him messages talking about, I miss you. This <laughs> team is a little different. <laughs> I said, there's, there's, there is a shift and I knew the shift was coming, but it was just that, that part of when you, you see things going a certain way and it's, it's just the way that life changes. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to play it out and let it finish without, without the sourness and the grumpiness. Of, um, and then when uh, Larry Kesselman asked me, uh, to be a part of the Bullets, being the first one up here, and so that was an honour. And I said I can go get a coach, and Andre <laughs> did a uh, coach in Australia. And at that point, he wasn't uh, allowed. Well, before that, he wasn't allowed to coach yeah. in the NBL. And so I went to him and said, "Hey, I need your help. And if you're able to do it, here's an opportunity for you. Uh, I'd love to keep learning under you." Since you know, at this point, um, I'd only coached QBL and I coached in Puerto Rico and to be their head coach I said there's a lot of Queenslanders that haven't haven't had, had the knowledge or been learning mm. and there wasn't many in the NBL and to bring basketball back here I felt I would have played it I need to play a major role in keep learning all about the business keep yep. learning and studying not only as an assistant coach uh, but also helping our young Queensland juniors to continue to impact them and yeah. Uh, where they need to be if it's gone to college because there's only nine teams in the competition now but to get to that level of what it takes and to give them more opportunities to be in the league than just um, yeah and just 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 here like all around yeah yeah yeah, yeah nice and um you know, like bullets, uh, the season's not too far away. Um, you guys have been pretty active getting some good young Australian talent on board. So um, how are you feeling like uh, about the upcoming season with the, the roster um, additions and, and movements? Yeah, it's been good. I think uh, Sam McKinnon, uh, our new uh, GM, our, our, no, well, he's not our GM. He's our, our, bas- he's our basketball, basketball GM. He's yep. uh, done amazing um, over this time to, to navigate through all the challenges and with Richard moving on, uh, coronavirus hitting as quick as it did and, mm. and it's navigating through those little 
potholes along the way, both to, to put um, Harry Froling and Drimmick. Um, I know we lost uh, Cam Glidden, who was a great asset for, for us. Uh, he's been able to put some good pieces in place with Tanner Krebs coming in. Uh, they complement the guys that we've already got. So Australian talent-wise, like mm. I, I look across the board that we're, again, for where coronavirus will take us, we're in a good hunt and a mix to be able to be competitive and in a top, top tier again. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, like this talking about last season, I was a bit interested to ask you, you know, like after the end of the season, what is like the postseason when you guys are just sort of looking at how the team went and, um, you know, that sort of reflection and review process, what does that look like for you for you guys? Um, well, we do, is, well, the Boomer series went on after that. So yeah. during that time, uh, we, we meet with all our contracted players and, one-on-one and ask them about the season and some of the things that um, that they liked and didn't like and from not just on the floor, the travel, um, from office to, you know, promos or all the little things to family. Yeah. Did we do enough with our families? Like all those questions that need to be asked to find out or where did we go wrong or what do we need to add to improve this to, to make it a more successful journey? Can yeah. you do all things? Probably not, but... You've got to ask those questions and uh, ask them about the team. You know, what could we have done better as a team? And some of these, some of the answers, though, you could say, well, we could have fixed that during the season if we knew about it then, if it mm. was that big of a problem. And that's where you, you don't want it to get to. So during the year, you have two or three touch points, which we do, um, just so that we can not have that all at one at the end of the season. Um, then we have our. Um, they have their screening and their medical stuff. So we find out again about their injuries and where they're going to go, what they're thinking about doing, where they're playing in the off-season. Yeah. Uh, and we have our own team review. So as coaches, we we get evaluated and um, talk about each round, each series, and you know some of the things that we could have done better. And we try to we address that clearly as the game on going through it and when it's finished. Uh, but as you know, the game comes around so quickly that you know, you've got to move on. And Yeah. You can't get caught in the past and you got to keep uh, preparing and planning. And I thought that Dre does a great job in that space. And so, and for him, this is not his first radio, so he, he's <laughs> good at leading in all those areas. And um, yeah, that's pretty much where where club's at. And then we've also had changes. So while we're all in it, we've had moving pieces and parts that most clubs haven't had. Uh, in our in the organization, you know, yeah. at our time we've had now four four GMs, I think. Yeah. Um, and we've changed it. We've been in three different buildings, you know, from State Netball Center. We've been at uh, Convention Center. We've been at Boondle. You mm. know, we played oh four. We've been at Gold Coast. We played yeah. there as well. Yeah. So for uh, the travel, um, I feel like over the course of the last five years that we've made some really good strides in our community through our junior basketball development. Um, so it's not, you You don't judge yourself just on wins and losses. Like yeah. clearly that's what our club is trying to do. We, you know, everyone's trying to revenue streams to, you know, sell tickets and uh, find different ways to, to, to make an organization stay afloat as we yeah. all do. Um, but you, you can't judge yourself just on one thing. So uh, we, uh, hold ourselves high on all facets. Yeah, you know, as a coaching staff, what are you looking at in terms of innovation and and yeah, you know, something you sort of see and you think, I oh, wouldn't mind giving that a try. Like, uh, is yeah. is there stuff like that that happens? Like when you do that postseason oh, review? Oh yeah, and Steve Catlin, who is our yeah, he's our analytics guy. So there's quite a few uh, assignments that get thrown his way. You, you would think that he was our highest paid player, uh, part of our organization, but he's um, he ain't he ain't even close to making five cents in a dollar. And he's <laughs> his, his love and passion of the game, how he how he drives it, uh, and gets stuff done for the club for individual yeah. players. Um, I guess navigating our volunteers to help in our organization on and off the floor. He's been a valuable piece, but we do sit around the round table, and the amount of times I'm talking to Steve about. It might be Southeast Phoenix, and mm. and then Andre's. He's like, I've got two assignments from Andre right now. And I was like, Hold up, 
what does he ask you to do now? Like, <laughs> you know, how many threes are made in the corner or what's the percentage of this? Um, what's the effective field goal percentage to um, yeah, just some different projects along throughout the season Yeah, uh, just to give us a better gauge of um, what, what works and what we can change or what we can add to our group that can make us different. Yeah. And do you sort of structure, like let's talk about offense, do you structure the offensive without sort of giving too much detail away? Do you structure that sort of offense philosophy around what you have as players or is it a bit of, you know, what's out there in the league as well? Um, or do you sort of look at, say, what's happening in in Europe and sort of say, you know, there's some good stuff there, we should we should get on board with that and give it a try? Well, there's, I think there's, there's good stuff all over the world. Like you, you can't... You don't want to pigeonhole yourself, but you need to understand who you who you are and your yeah. team is. And once you understand that, I feel like uh, most coaches in our league have their own philosophy, and their all philosophy, their philosophy has been here for quite some time. Like when Joey Wright was here, he was in Brisbane in the Adelaide on the Gold Coast. It stayed the same. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Gleeson stays the same from Townsville to Perth. Not much has changed. Um, Andre, he's ran the floor in New Zealand. He's brought it over here. He runs it with the national team. Every junior team has run, runs it, so it's it's embedded in them. Of the the basic concept is there for them. Um, as for what you add to that, is this is where they're like looking at me, rolling their eyes, like, "What has CJ got now?" Like, <laughs> this is where I, I start coming into my own. Of when doing the Floyd part, I was like, "I'm not getting the ball back." And being the point guard, you can't tell me that I'm affecting this game if I don't get it back so how can I get it back so this is where some of these different wrinkles could come in where you see point guards can get the ball back uh, or opportunities for them to impact the game and make more plays mm. where your players are dominant um, but you've got to give everyone that sort of role and you keep adding bits, bits and pieces and this is where your innovation and, and adding to the group of what does your talent what does your talent level allow for you to do and, yeah yeah and and you can be creative, but you also got to give them the opportunity to allow them to play. Robots yeah. is, doesn't make anyone, when you watch the NBA, there's a, it's a very simple set that they run or action, yeah. and then it becomes them playing basketball. And it's, that's not taught. That's just them making plays. Mm. And that's the part where it becomes real. And in Europe and, and Australia, because we play 40-minute game, um, the pace that you run at, the spacing that needs to be there, uh, to allow the creativity and the screening actions that get open shots. So it's, I mean, the game is simple. I try to remind everyone, keep it simple. Um, even though my brain runs a hundred miles an hour and has a lot, <laughs> lot of ideas, um, but you got, you got to play basketball. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, at the, so I guess we're talking about the start of the season. Um, how do you guys discuss the goals with the team? And, you know, like, is it, at this stage of the year, is it is it about like you know is that discussion about how we want to play, or is it more about you know this is where we need to be at at the last game of the season so we can we can get into the postseason? Uh, right. Well, right now where we're at is off season, so we're talking about the planning part of what a season looks like um, yep. from now until all up until the first game of the season. What does that look like? What's the training loads? Um, how much are they doing? Guys are playing in the QSL. Yeah, uh, we're training three days a, a week right now uh, with individual skills being the, the backbone of it. But as you know, most kids you just they want to play, and to do that in real time and be able to make decisions is important in the game of basketball. So you can do all the skills you want. If you're not playing against anyone, you look really, really good one on one. So you have to pass the ball to someone, and it doesn't hit him on target, and he can't catch and shoot or he over dribbles it so all those little scenarios is where we're at right now and giving them a little bit of uh, skill set time and uh, and then some team plays so they can find chemistry with one another yeah. uh, and as this unfolds, unfolds it'll be about their conditioning uh, yeah. it's not it's not peak at the start of the season but you need to be in great shape every team that I've been on that's been successful yeah. it's not it's not waiting like oh we've got four games to get ready when you play 28 games and it's only a 40-minute game, every second counts. Mm. I mean, that counts in all sports, but it's that part of you've got to make a difference. You can't say, well, I never touched it. Well, you didn't run fast enough. If you ran hard, you yeah. would have created an opportunity for you to score or a teammate to score. So this is where kids feel like, well, tugging on your shorts and having 
1.5 metres between me and you and you're dribbling the basketball, that's not playing defence. You know, mm. like you need to be able to understand your skill set if you're faster than me, that I might need more of a gap, but I still need you to feel me and affect. And then I need my teammates to be in positions because everyone knows that you're faster than me. Yeah. So this is the part where you want to teach that uh, during, during the off-season, work on that and get and try and hone that a bit better so you can get out the blocks uh, and, and make stuff happen. And as the season unfolds, it's, it's fine-tuning. Um, yeah. About how smart you become, your 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 loading um, throughout the season, throughout the year. So we've been very fortunate with Andy McGough uh, not having as many injuries. You know, I think last year Hodgie was will miss will miss the game. I think Hodgie missed uh, a game as well. So yeah. you know, other than those two players, we we've done an amazing job. And <laughs> this is my uh, this is my little dude right here. Snowflake, snowflake, take right. us up. Oh, uh, my pop's calling me right now. So now he's, so he's got him. You keep mentioning his name and he starts reaching out to me. That's I, I it. have to tell him to hang up on him. Like, hang on, excuse me for one second. Yeah, right. No worries. <laughs> no, he's going to tell him I'm on the phone. Oh, okay. Right. On. No <laughs> drama. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll just ask a couple more and then we'll, we'll finish up. So um, what are the same, some of the things you guys do or maybe some things you do yourself, say, with your, your QSL team and that sort of thing? But what, what are the, some of the things on your list for team building? Uh Right. Uh, we haven't done much as QSL. <laughs> we only just got together. Uh, but in, in my eyes, like, the, the team needs to, like, for them to come together, like, when a QSL team gets together, you still need it. It's amazing how much shooting you still need to put in practice. Mm. I feel like that, that outside time of getting shuts up on, as an individual where my error and other errors were really good at. This is the part that I don't think players do enough of it. Yeah. They want to shoot the board, but they don't shoot it at a good clip. And yeah. if they make one or five, they feel very confident that they can drill off the next ball, but they haven't put in the work that some of these other other players and elite players do. This is what makes them elite and why they end up playing for Australia. So um, I think putting in shooting is a big key. Um, spending time together, a way to organizing different events where you're to see my team look after like as a QSL team to see them go and run a basketball camp. Yeah. Now you have, they have to teach the junior kids and see how much fun they have and, and understand that how it feels for as a coach to tell them, well, here's what I need you to do. Huh? What? <laughs> so you might have to ask him. He might be able to help you. Yeah. Um, but through video, um, uh, outside, having having lunch, having coffee with him. So I meet up with him. Uh, I met with every one of our players so far and just to get to know him a little better because this is the season's so short that you don't have the time. You, know, have, you don't always have the time during season yeah. to spend that time with them. So to understand, understand them as individuals because I don't know what, you. I don't know what upsets you. I don't know what makes you happy. And while we're on the basketball court, I need to know when you walk in that building, this is the only thing that matters right now. And you cross that line. Yeah. I need you to be on the same same page. And if you're angry, can, like, I need to know why. And if I know why, then I know, you know maybe not yelling at you today is big time, but you need to be in the right spot. Yeah. You, know, you Or time out. You need to get off, go take a drink, and have someone else come in. So that way it doesn't escalate into something more than what it should be at this point in time. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, finding finding ways to um, bring a team together, uh, giving them different tasks. Um, amazing race is a good one, and I'll probably do that before the start of our season to get a team to go and run around to a few different obstacles. They're going to do some field around here that will make <laughs> that happen. Just so yeah. You know. um, it's just a good team bonding to get them out and about. And yeah. When you're in coronavirus, during coronavirus, giving them a few different obstacles, yeah. some push bikes and away they go. It's, it's, <laughs> it's something that they always will remember and something that you can always lean on about how hard it was and different tasks throughout a season. So find yeah. different ways to bring them together. Yeah, nice. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, and, I, and I remember talking to you one other time, and you mentioned you were doing some, you, you'd done some stuff uh, in the NBA summer league when that was on uh, with the yeah. Cavs. That, how did those opportunities come up, and um, what did you take away, you know, from the from those opportunities as well? Yeah, well, um, 
Chico, so when I was playing in, playing for the Kings, um, Chico, who's one of the scouts for the Cavaliers, he um, messaged me. <laughs> don't know how he got my, my message and it wasn't through my agent. So he just said, oh, don't tell Sydney Kings. I want to bring you in as um, a guy to make our roster uh, this upcoming season. And they just lost in the, the finals. And so I said, well, send me some videos. And so I said, send me your last five games. And he sent that. He sent me some T-shirts and stuff. I threw all the T-shirts to to Roland Roberts and Mark Sanford. And I said, I've got the DVDs. I watched those five. And then asked for the next five games. And then I think after three weeks of asking for DVDs, uh, Mike Malone, who was on the coaching staff then, he was like, this guy, he doesn't stop asking. Like, what is he doing? But I knew, I knew all their players. So by the time our season finished and I went over there, I got to know most of their coaching staff and – you know, just being a point guard, wanting to to know what's best to run a team, and being in that organization and seeing where they were all at um, yeah. as as head coaches, assistant coaches, um, just wanting to get the most out of it and the value. And they liked what I did during my time. They all, they did say I have Ross spot too, and then that sort of changed too. And things end up where they are. So this is yeah. the part where it's like uh, this is this is sport and this is life. Move on, uh, but. He said, if there's any way that I can return a favor. And so this is how that came about of, you know, ah. I'm not playing anymore. And yeah. I would like to, you know, I want to keep learning and growing just like I did as a basketball player. I need to keep learning and growing and every little bit helps. Yeah. I'm not here for a job. I'm just here for the opportunity to keep learning. And um, like many, many people that I know in the NBA and GMs and scouts and coaches and assistant coaches. So now it's that opportunity to, make the most of that space while while you can help and and they can help you and to grow to one day become a head coach. Yeah, nice. From, and Detroit and yeah, I got a call from Dwayne Casey out of the blue and you know, he took over Detroit and got a job offer. If you're gonna be here in the summer, let's talk. And I remember looking at my phone like, Hey Princess, does that say Dwayne Casey? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I got pretty excited, reached out to my dad real quick. And then you know, when you start weighing it up and you go over there and I sat in, Andre was there at the time with me and he was uh, one of those moments, I guess he probably thought, oh, probably going to lose you. So I, thought it, <laughs> I thought I was supposed to give you my role and, and, and I was going to watch all, all my uh, all, all my young seeds grow up and become head coaches from Paul Inare and others. And <laughs> here's with Judd Flavels and the Dean Vickermans. He goes, and now you're trying to – Go to the NBA. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not always how many times these opportunities come. And in the end, I was like, I just need to keep learning. He says, well, let's, let's talk about this next year. And the next year I went to the summer league with the Raptors and uh, Nick Nurse. I've known him a long time. Good friends with Dave Atkins. Is, yeah. Um, Cameron Dickinson, who played in the NBL, he coached him back in the day. And, uh, yeah, got some funny stories from those guys but his journey and how he got there it's I guess from a from a player to a coach and you know you go anywhere and everywhere to make the game work for you and his you know his innovative nature and the people that he's put in his programs to go make that work from the G League to in in London to you know in the NBA at this point like it just stands out and he's someone that I reach out to and Asking for different, like when I've got ideas or, yeah, and yeah, it's just one of those things that uh, you love being a part of the NBA, but I know my job is still here. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, yeah, what's in the future for you, mate? You um, staying in Brisbane for the long term, or you you're still well, like that's the, right now? That's the plan. You know, you never yeah. say never. So when you're you're in a place, it's to, to make a difference and yeah, to to affect all. Or areas for my family to make sure that they're safe and well, to on the first and foremost, and then it becomes, um, you know, my son playing basketball. I've got to be a part of his life and not neglect my responsibilities. And then it becomes about um, running an organisation. I've been a head coach, and as Andre does it, I get to see firsthand the national coach do it. So now he's not the national coach, and now he's just looking after the bullets and. Yeah to see how he does it and some of the things that I, I love that he does and some of the things I'm like, oh, I might not do that or I might not try that or but this is where you learn from one another and yeah, you get yeah. to see that firsthand and, and as a coach in the QSL and coaching some of our players that will play for the Bullets um, and then and at Churchy, so all levels, I'm, I'm involved and across all levels to, to 
to keep engaging an eye on the kids that are coming up, uh, to the kids that are overseas, to the guys that are in our league right now, yep. to our players that play in Europe. Um, it's the love and the passion of the game, which is always in me and will never leave me to the day I die. And it's something that I hope that everyone finds their passion and everyone's able to make a difference. And sometimes it's not always because people think it's, now he got he's there and he's made all this money. It's not one. It's not all about money. Yeah. And I've sacrificed more money than for an opportunity. Then my family is comfortable and life is life. When yeah. you die, you don't take all this money with you. So I understand that <laughs> as long as you can live and you can make it work, then there's a lot to give, and you've got yeah. to give. Yeah. Uh, everyone's there's a lot of receiving um, for the for the younger generation, and I'm not just saying that to to be a smart ass it's it's just that part of I feel like uh, keep giving and keep working hard mm. and if you keep the focus on the right areas and you have a chance to be successful and that success success looks different to everybody yeah 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 you're spot on oh, I think it's all all the part of the journey isn't it and um, and uh, like uh, probably try and wrap it up because uh, I know you've got to get on with your day but um, it's been great yeah talking with you and hearing about your journey like um, no doubt we'll be seeing each other in a fortnight uh, at the QSL game one so uh, looking forward to that but um, as always CJ yeah you're you're just a real uh, great guy to be around and and, yeah you make the people around you better so um, I I do appreciate uh, your time and um, yeah really enjoy having a chat yeah appreciate it thanks Ant all right mate good luck to you and the podcast you're doing a great job keep up the good work man Thanks, big fella. I'll, uh, I've, got, oh, I've got a huge list of uh, people still to interview, so uh, I'll, I'm working my way through it. <laughs> <laughs> no, good on you. All right, mate. You Take soon. it easy. Okay, okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Oz B-Ball Coach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.